it's still the story. We wish it wasn't, but it is still the story. Welcome back. I'm Arlene Bynan for Alex Pearson here on On Point. Ukraine, and what a, what a switch it has been, those first four days where we were, wow, Ukraine is defending itself. We talked about courage and bravery. But at the same time, there was an opening, wasn't there? What was on Vladimir Putin's mind? Had people been asleep? Had people overestimated? Estimated, underestimated, and some, the porridge was just right. They were bang on as we watched him invade Ukraine. So many more questions. And as Russia really tussles with this, as we saw this week at the Victory Day parade, there was not a lot of victory talk. But then the bombing continued and moved into Odessa. We're going to talk about the mindset here of Russia and Vladimir Putin, and I'd like to welcome Sean M. Maloney, professor of history at the Royal Military College, specializing in Cold War and nuclear issues. Thank you for being here. Oh, thanks for the invite. Glad to be back. All right. As we look at this, it seems every day there is, I guess the only word really is an awakening. Some are being, you know, shook up more than others. But what was your impression of this new revelation many people have of Vladimir Putin's goals, especially this week? We watched him stand at the victory parade. He was subdued, muted, I think was one of the words. And then we saw him bombing and keep continuing here. Sean, has the world woken up finally here? Well, I hope so. I mean, there's, there's a small number of us that have been watching this for quite some time. Mm-hmm. So frankly, none of this completely surprises us, but we're not representative of the Canadian population, um, nor are we representative of people that work in the government necessarily. We have a different outlook on things with a, uh, a different educational background. Um, so we weren't, we weren't really surprised. They've been talking about doing this for quite some time, long before 2014. They've been laying the groundwork for it for almost probably 20 years. Um, they've conducted incremental steps to get here starting with, say, Georgia in 2008, when nobody really opposed that. So it's, it's, it's salami tactics. You slice off one, nobody says anything, slice off, slice off another, right? So this has been going on for some time. The ideology has been in, the ideology is there, but not everybody here reads Russian uh, or has access to people that actually read this sort of thing. And it's, it, there was nobody really watching it, um, say, in the media, in Canada particularly, in academia, to a certain extent, with a handful of specialists, but not within the government. So it's um, yeah, it, it's yeah. true. Many people, even those who would be experts on Putin, although they realized this was his raison d'être, because anybody who looked at him deeply and seriously knew that he wanted to rebuild. However, there was an underestimation in many ways. And then, may we say, we had the United States of America, where we had a former president standing toe-to-toe, taking his side. We've had a lot of things happen in the last five years that have been shocking, but now we're looking at them in a new way. I agree. The uh, one thing we really need to learn from this, uh, we need to jettison the moral equivalency. And I think that's that's been an anchor dragging us Mm -hmm. down for decades. This idea, and this goes back to Soviet era disinformation, right? And active measures. The idea that they can do what they like because they're the, are, we're the moral equivalent of them, that systems are just the same. Uh, politicians want what politicians want, regardless of uh, ideology or where they sit on the political spectrum. So Canadians, of course, have this, this peacekeeping mentality 
And when you're doing peacekeeping operations, the sort of moral right and wrongs are jettisoned in favor of trying to accommodate both sides to reach a solution. Well, that doesn't work in, this, in the environment uh, of Mr. Putin or his allies or his friends. And people, people just, again, Canadians have a real problem coming to grips with this. They think this can all be sorted out just through talking to people where it cannot. He's taken advantage of that. And we also know, I mean, he's been spreading propaganda. We're not going, and his people have been spreading propaganda, like uh, officials here in Canada. And we are, we are not going to send them back because apparently Canada wants a presence there. But again, you know, Canada and other countries have often looked to the United States. It was in style. We saw former Prime Minister Stephen Harper be very, very tough on Vladimir Putin. But then we look to the United States, there was Obama and the, you know, the line, the red line in Syria. And then I go back to the last five years where there was almost an attempt, well, there was an attempt to normalize Russia. It would be great if we were friends with Russia again. How, how damaging has that been, all of it, to where we are right now? Oh, it's deliberately contributed to the situation that we're in right now. But you're not going to see anybody take responsibility for it, right? And yeah. you're starting, people, again, we're back to people in Canada do not study Russian history. It's not part of the, uh, the curriculum, nor do they really study communist Chinese history. And if they do on either account, it's obsolete or it's information operations or it's some kind of active measure deception. Like there, there's a lot of people that have not bothered to read deeply on this. And Twitter's not going to help you completely. All right. And, and now we can't make everybody an expert in these things, but at least there are uh, ideas in there that need to be considered as the basis for our national security policy, like getting involved with Huawei, that kind mm -hmm. of insanity. Um, I could come up with more, but we're back to this idea that it, I would argue this, that there mm -hmm. are pe the people that want to appease Putin are afraid of him. And rather than being afraid, one stands up to Putin like the Ukrainians are doing, mm -hmm. and one deters him with the tools that you have to deter him with, and that includes nuclear weapons. And the idea that, that we, this can be accommodated is absurd, not under these conditions. Okay. And this is where we're almost like it's, it is, I'm loath to make the analogy, but this is, we're in the thirties and okay, we've done yeah, what we can. Yeah. People mm -hmm. tried to appease and it's not worked. He's taken another big slice and now he's going to war. So what are you going to do? Let him take more. I mean, and one that, of the worst arguments yeah. I've heard so far is this idea that Ukrainians should just surrender to save human life. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about that because you're hearing it. I mean, I'm hearing it from people. I'm hearing it actually, even from conservatives are saying that. It's almost a yeah. way, I want to ask you, is it a way to justify ignoring all this stuff before and now it's on to you Ukrainians because they're brave and courageous and they're fighting back and they're saying no and they're saying, well, look at what you're doing if you don't cave. I'll go further and tell you straight mm -hmm. up. I think it's mm -hmm. the other side's active measures and influence activities in Canada. Yeah. And oh, yeah. a lot of that plays off of, again, the sort of peacekeeping humanitarian impulse that a lot of people seem to have. And they do not understand the concept of fighting for something you believe in and dying for it. Because people in this country are pretty much so far removed from that reality, they can't understand it anymore. And you're watching it play out hour after hour in Ukraine. And the, the Ukrainians understand that there's the worth, life is not worth living if you're enslaved by Moscow. And they do not want that. 
but you've got people in Canada, they're like, that the, the human life is the absolute paramount thing, whether it's enslaved or not. Look at how they behave towards the Uyghurs in China, right? So it's that kind of mentality. I, I can't process it. It does not fit with my value system, your value system. Um, those of us that have served overseas and their value systems, I mean, um, it's, 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 it doesn't make sense to, to us. And yet there are a large number of people, specifically I've seen in, in Canadian media, it all sort of popped up at the same time. And whenever that happens, I'm suspicious. Yes, I, I agree I, with you. And they're trying it on. And you've just said something um, that is music to my ears. It is part of active measures. Are we seeing the appeasement and the justification because of those connections that have been made? To me, oh, I'd say no, yeah. yeah, that is what I've been I mean, seeing. And it, it's you can suffer in silence, but it's just so obvious now. I know a guy, Thomas Ridd, that's done work on this extensively. And as Peter Pomerantz up, there's some seriously good scholarship on active measures and how it's, it's mm-hmm. how we've been played going back to the 1920s in various ways. But this is just dismissed by people that, that don't really want to go there because, again, they're afraid of something. Okay? It's like we should really be studying how the Beijing regime influences our present government and, and society. But people are afraid to go there because, oh, my God, if we start doing this, we'll be labeled racists. So they're more worried about being labeled a racist by an outside entity than exploring the detrimental effects of what this might be doing to our society and our, our political system. And the Russians or, have functionally Yeah, or what about the connections, though? There are business connections. People see opportunity oh, okay. and power, and that is what Vladimir Putin and China have dangled, especially Putin, the power angle. And we're seeing those connections there. Are they, as what we're watching in Ukraine, I will say, you know, you look at even polling in the United States, even among Republicans, we know what we're seeing when we see it. We're seeing courage and bravery, and we know what's right and wrong when we see Volensky here. We know it. And it's, it is, is it something that you see that maybe Zelensky's chipped away at? Well, I, I hope so, because, you know, we've got oligarchs in Canada, too. And I know a journalist that was threatened by one with the destruction of his life and career if he decided to question what this particular oligarch and their company was doing in relationship to the Canadian government. I mean, that happens here. It doesn't just happen in Moscow. But you don't hear about it because the media doesn't report it. Because why? Everybody's afraid again. Why is everybody in this country so afraid of everything? I find that interesting, especially the bureaucracy. I interact with the government, the high Ottawa bureaucracy all the time. I just see nothing but rampant fear for making a decision, anything. It's crippling us, but I have no clue what the solution is. So people have to build organic mechanisms to bypass the fear just to get stuff done. Why is that? What's everybody afraid of? But this is exposed things, and there are connections here, and it is a different time. Look at, I mean, Vladimir Putin, certainly with former President Donald Trump, wanted America to help him weaken NATO. The opposite has happened. It is revitalized, and whatever criticism we've had about NATO, it's kind of one of the big things we have right now. So we are watching that. Well, I think this is it. I mean, we need, this is where we can start recovering what our actual values are. Mm-hmm. and reinvigorating what our actual interests are. You know, not, not the shimmera, the, the, the sort of uh, green utopia they keep trying to sell everybody. It doesn't work that way. Anybody trying to sell you utopia, you know, you know where that's coming from, right? So uh, what, what do we want? What, is, what do Canadians want fundamentally? Because from that, everything should flow. And what, what Canadians should want is the highest standard of living possible 
given our circumstances for the entire country and everybody, not just a small segment that can fly down to the Caribbean during COVID. Okay. That should be the goal. I know, but we're talking as we talk about Vladimir Putin and the threat here. And once it's realized, and we know, and you reference history, and you said this is like in the 30s, but they've been forgotten. Is it hard to teach that lesson now? And let me ask you, because it is the question. What do we do? How far do we let Vladimir Putin go? Or are there signs? And certainly this week, every day, you have to have seen them. I mean, there were reports that Russian soldiers were saying no. And then there were every day more reports about perhaps a weakening and cracks around um, Putin. Let me me address that because I've been Mm -hmm. watching that very carefully for Mm -hmm. four months. Okay. And the, the, the situation will end at some point when Putin is dead. But what happens after that? What happens to the various mm-hmm. power blocks that are going to be there? Is this, we, this is not a situation where it's suddenly over, everybody goes home. No, it's guard, not a solution, but... be, No, because what'll, you'll deal with a fragmented, balkanized Russia with nuclear weapons, right? So, but that's also how, being dangled, point? as you mentioned. There are those who say, well, Ukraine yeah. should just, you know, cave and stop this this disaster. Oh. On the other hand, that's another argument, isn't it? And saying, okay, people are hoping that Vladimir Putin is taken out, goes away, whatever. But what will come next? But is that really what we should be asking ourselves? I'm going to go back to history that you mentioned. Well, he's not, I, he's I, not dead yeah. yet. So, yeah. I mean, he, he has to be opposed on all levels, mm-hmm. whether mm-hmm. it's... Whether it's economically, whether it's in the information and cybersphere, okay, the recognition that that he and his administration, if you want to call it that, the kleptocracy, is that the spider at the center of the web. We finally see this, right? But what do we do about it? How do we tear that web down? What are the next moves? And that's going to mean containing him, making sure he can't do anything, deterring him so he can't escalate. Absolutely crucial. Maintaining the pressure economically, absolutely crucial. That's going to be hard to do given the price of gas, but whose fault is that? Is that Putin or is that just bad policy here, right? Well, it is. It is, gets back to the one of the other dilemmas. Do you end up relying on people that you don't agree with and this kind of thing could happen? And then as we began this, we'll end it. Because with that perhaps naive approach, we got into this relying on Russian gas mess. Sean M. Maloney, um, great to have this discussion. Thank you kindly. Okay, anytime. Sean Maloney is professor of history at the Royal Military College, specializing in Cold War and nuclear issues. Don't go away. I'm Arlene Bynan. This is On Point.